Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hey, uh, how's everybody doing here? I wasn't on the air last night. We had uh, some stuff. Again, uh, like I said, we have uh, uh, we had a death in the family and it's real uh, a real nightmare. We'll leave it at that uh, with, to deal with what we're dealing with here. Uh, but anyway, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. And uh, thanks. I got a lot of uh, condolences uh, since uh, we were on the air last. Anyway, that's not what this is about. Uh, I was something up. Someone pointed something out to me, and I was, uh, no, I, I tried to do the retractions and clarifications and everything at the beginning of the program. And uh, I I just want to get that out of the way. There were uh, on the September 5th program, there was a little bit of of a misunderstanding on what exactly uh, the masks, right, for things. And uh, the masks for COVID-19. And, uh, no, the impression that some people got was, don't wear the mask, they're useless. No, that's not what it is. It's all about safety and how we define safety. Safety is what? And we start this out at the beginning of every one of our classes that we give here. And you, too, can hear us. 845-269-5772. At the beginning of all our classes, we... Talk about what is safety. So we're all on the same page. Is safety, because this is important, is safety the presence of controls, guards, safeguards, procedures, everything left of the bang, if we're going to use the popular thing now, the left of the blank. Then you have on the other end, behavior-based safety, traditional safety, where safety is Zero accidents, zero illnesses, zero injuries, zero, zero, zero. And God forbid you should have one because then you're an unsafe company. And that's how it gets played. And we all know my position on behavior-based safety. I was just uh, talking to someone today on this, on a conference call. Uh, It was a uh, more or less along the lines of, hey, how can I help you type a conference call? And you could schedule that at safetywords.com for your initial consultation. And uh, the person on the phone who has the same name as my mother, and I, that's what piqued my interest, uh, she, uh, her husband is a uh, safety consultant, also the head of a very large safety company, uh, not safety company, pharmaceutical company, one of the corporate directors. And she, uh, basically I said, look, when you get into the behavior-based safety mode, often what happens is, especially when you're dealing with people in beginning to mid-career, hey, my people are not working safe, and therefore it's your fault. That's how a lot of 
Therefore, it's your fault, the safety person. And therefore, the safety person gets all vindictive and says, hey, that's every, no, the worker's fault. They're not doing what I need to be done, blah, blah, blah. And we get into that with the introduction to safety. Uh, I'm sorry, introduction to leadership that we talked about a couple weeks ago, where people are like, well, how do I get people to do stuff I can't do? You know, and it's a complete nightmare. So, again, with the masks, getting back full circle, the masks are part of your overall COVID strategy. That's how I approach things. Uh, with that, uh, and people hold it against us. So I'm going to do a share screen. This is from a CDC blog that the person who wanted the clarification so nicely produced, uh, sent over to me. I'm not going to use his name, not because, uh, you know, I don't like him or anything. I don't have his permission to use the name. Uh, so uh, let's do a share screen here. Dun, dun, dun. And... Here we have, and I'm going to go do this view so people can actually see the thing a little bit better. How do filters collect particles, right? Now, if you're a safety professional, this is what you want to really include in your safety training because I never found all the information in one place. It was really nice to see everything in one place. As my former mentor, Jeffrey Olcott, uh, used to say, this is like gold, right? So, uh, rest in peace, Jeff. Anyway, filter mechanisms, filtration mechanisms here. And let me see if I could zoom in. How do filters collect particles? And so this is for air. Inertial impaction. With this mechanism, particles having too much inertia due to size or mass cannot follow the airstream as it was diverted around a fiber filter. This mechanism is responsible for collecting larger particles. Interception. As particles pass close to a filter fiber, they may be intercepted by the fiber. Again, this mechanism is responsible for collecting larger particles. Then you have diffusion. Small particles are constantly bombarded by air molecules which cause them to deviate from the airstream and to come into contact with a filter fiber. This mechanism is responsible for collecting smaller particles. And number four, electrostatic attraction. Oppositely charged particles are attracted to a charged fiber. This collection mechanism does not favor a certain particle size. In all cases, once a particle comes into contact with a filter fiber and is removed from the airstream and strongly held by molecular attractive forces, this is the whole origin, I'm told, of the NPNR type situation for uh, filtering phase-fuse respirators. As seen in figure two, there is a particle size at which none of the mechanical collection mechanisms is particularly effective. This most penetrating particle size, you got to love this acronym, MPPS, Marks the best point at which to measure filter performance. If the filter demonstrates a high level of performance at the MPPS, right, that is the most penetrating particle size, then particles both smaller and larger will be collected with even higher performance. This is perhaps the most misunderstood aspect of filter performance that bears repeating. Filters do not act as sieves. 
One of the most one of the best sets of filters performs the vials measuring particle collection. Uh, and it's most penetrating particle size, which ensures better performance for larger and smaller particles. Further, the filter's collection efficiency is a function of the size of the particles and is not dependent on whether they are bioaerosols or inert particles. So right here, we have this right here. Uh, Particle size. And if you go on this graph, right there's 0.1, microns and this is 1.0 microns so if you go 0.1 0.2 0.3 hey that hey jimmy that rings a rings a bell here right 0.3 is where they test filtering face these respirators and for whatever reason that is where things are right the where things uh where things uh, uh, are hardest to do. I don't know why. Uh, talk to God when I meet him, all right? Uh, I'll be one of the first things. Now, if you go over here on the left, we have the zero the, where I put the thing here, and I'm going to hi- see if I can highlight it. No, I can't highlight it. You have 0.1 on the end, 0.01, 0.02, 0. 0.03. That's about roughly the size of a... That's roughly the size of a viral particle, 0.03, give or take, obviously. And you look, and the diffusion regime is right at 0.3 microns, right? Uh, Where it reaches 100% uh, or 1.0 efficiency, 1.0 efficiency. Okay, so what does that tell you? This, and and if you go a little bit smaller, which is uh, 0.2, 0.3, it approaches 102, 100%. Now, what's the point? This is why the uh, N95 masks are effective for, vi- uh, for viruses. So, consider this a whatever it is, a correction, retraction, uh, clarification, whatever you want to do it. But this is very important. This is one of those web pages, and I should make this into a separate video here on uh, exactly for this, right? And then it tells you this testing regime here. Now, something I want to point out to everybody here is this. And the article or the blog post goes into this. For this to work, right? This is all done under laboratory conditions. For this to work and for respirators to work, they have to be used 100% of the time. They have to fit right. So you have, right, you have to be medically trained, medically fit to wear them. You fit tested. You need everything to work, right? So this is why when you go down with the hierarchy of controls that we're all worried and we're all concerned about, you know, elimination, uh, substitution, engineer, administrate, and PPE. PPE is on the bottom because if you're going to rely on PPE for anything, COVID, for uh, 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 hand protection, for hard hat, anything like that, you got to guarantee that that's going to be 100% of the time worn and used, used properly, uh, and everything else. That's why we talk about safety being a function of controls. Where we're going to have 
control, right? We're going to have multiple controls. We're going to be concentrating at what we call left of the bag. I'm going to, uh, hold on, bear with me a minute here. Right, I uh, came up with this. Uh, so here we have here. Bear with me a minute, because this was just here. Uh, I tell you, what, we're going to go to commercial break, which is our custom. And I'm pulling up another thing, and it's not working. And we'll do that. In a world where danger lurks in every corner, one man stands as a beacon of hope. Jim Polzel, a veteran safety expert with over three decades of experience, now bringing his knowledge to you with Safety Wars. Engaging, informative, and always relevant, that's Safety Wars. Join a safety revolution with Safety Wars, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts and videos. Okay, so uh, hold on. Let me stop sharing this one. And we're going to go and share this little thing that I made up. And again, this is not, this is not comprehensive, right? Because this could be built out pretty uh, big here. And I'm going to do this and this. Okay, here we have left of the bang and right of the bang. I know it's cliched. I know it's been used. But I've never really seen this used in the safety field. Just like we had the leadership pyramid, we have left of the bang and right of the bang. So here we have left of the bang. But that's where you do all your accident prevention, your training, your plans, your regulations, your hierarchy controls, PPE, work modes, right? But people in the skills mode. Uh, Jens Rasmussen, equipment inspection, good work habits, first aid training, emergency action, all that stuff into prevention. And then you have the bang. That's the event, whatever you're dealing with. Now you're into everything else. Let's talk about what's there. Moral hazard, first aid, emergency response, regulatory oversight and involvement, accident management, workers' comp, accident investigation, root cause analysis, lawyers, Human resources, PTSD, family notifications, funerals, hospitalization, police, fire department, emergency management. We can add, go on and on. Now, here's my question for you. Where do you want to be on that? You want to be left of the bang. You want to be prevention, 100% prevention. You don't want to be there on the right, there uh, on the right response. Now, what ends up, and I, again, with the conversation I had with a colleague where we had the initial consult today, was the, was the, uh, she's getting her safety people that she's hiring and she's interacting with are all concerned about after the bang. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to, okay, fair enough. They're on that. But that's not, no, that's not where you need to be. If you do left of the bang in all your prep work and coaching, the likelihood of getting into the right of the bang, right, with all of the crap you got to do and all of the headaches you got to do is going to be mitigated. 
Right? It's not going to be a zero. Let's, uh, zero goals and zero. It's all baloney. All right? With that, for most organizations. If you're there and you're able to do it honestly without covering crap up, without bullying people, without well, God bless you. Right? God bless you. But that's not what the reality of most workplaces are. Most workplaces are not there. It's just the way it is. So uh, I want to point that out uh, with that and bear with me with uh, masks, the whole mask issue here with this stuff. Yeah, wear the mask. I'm telling you, I'm never going to tell you not to wear the mask if you're medically able to wear the mask. What I'm going to tell you is wear an iosterated mask. If you can't do that, then you got to do the European one, right, where they have the FFP1, 2, or 3, or the KN95. Use a rated mask on that. The reason why, and again, a little bit conspiratorial, but I don't think it's a little bit conspiratorial. The reason why they, two reasons why they didn't say right off the bat or you got conflicting information, then one person denies it, and then it's on video, they don't say it, and then I'll go back and forth is that they didn't have enough because in 2010, they decided that we're not going to fund this anymore, so they didn't have any uh, respirators, they being the federal government. And people like me screaming and yelling about disaster prep, ah, screw it, don't have to do it. Now, they, number one, they didn't have them. Number two, guess what they would have had to do if they said, hey, everybody go out and wear a nihilated respirator. How, then you have to do training, then you got to do fit testing, then you got to do medical clearance, and then you got to do all the other stuff under the 1910-134 standard in the workplace, and they weren't prepared to do that. But again, let's say that you were a private employer and you had a airborne biological hazard. Are you going to go out there and say, oh, yeah, use a face covering? <laughs> I mean, you talk about lawsuits, liability, and decredentialing. That oh man! I mean, if you're in New York, you're maybe declared the confident person, and you may go to jail for that. And someone gets hurt or killed. Guess what? Government does it's fine. Now, this is the other one. I, this is going to be, and I told you so. Here, I think. All right, now. This is from dailymail.co.uk. I had mentioned this over 20 years ago. People said, Jimmy, you're nuts. I even spoke to the great Jim Gerhardt on New Jersey 101.5 about this when this was brought up sometime in the early 2000s, late 1990s, that there were rumors and there's all this stuff going on that, hey, uh, DNA is being stored. People went to the other wars on the right on the web, and he's been talking about this for years. So, hey, even a, a clock is right twice a day, as they say. By the way, clocks you could have hands, right, and a stop clock, right? It, no, twenty four hours of it going around and around, you know that sort of thing. If you're too young to remember what a clock looks like, your standard clock. But anyway, here it is. Um. Dailymail.co.uk and the state, uh, the it's published today, uh, states the liberatory for dailymail.com. Your baby's DNA is being stored for decades in government labs and can be used in police investigations without your permission. And 
New Jersey, again, ding, 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 New Jersey, 101.5. I was in New Jersey when I mentioned this, I was told I was nuts. New Jersey parents are now suing for rights to their infant's blood. Newborn DNA can be stored for months, years, or indefinitely at government labs. New Jersey police were found to obtain samples for a case without a warrant. Right? Nearly every U.S.-born baby has blood drawn to check their risk of about 60 rare diseases within hours of coming into the world. What makes parents, what many parents may not know is that these DNA samples can be stored in a government lab indefinitely, allowing law enforcement access to blood for investigations into a child's relative. So, for example, your relative kills somebody, rapes somebody, DNA is left behind, Guess what? They can find uh, your relative based on probability and identify him based on your DNA. I know people who will not do the 23andMe thing. And I did it, uh, and you know what? I found it very empowering. It was actually, I felt, man, empowered. I got all this uh, genetic background. I mean, you know, it's good. I found out I'm part East, uh, I'm part West Indian. You know, Malawi, I think it's called. West Coast of India. Uh, Persian, right? Cousins with Alexander Hamilton. Okay, it was 5,000 years. I thought it was great. But I know pick families that will not do, uh, that will not do 23andMe or anything like that because, why do you think? Because their relatives have committed crimes. They think, not convicted, but they'll be found out. And now they can do it because a 1996 cold case was solved last year after New Jersey police collected a baby's DNA without a warrant to investigate the child's father, grabbing the attention of some parents who are now suing state officials over its storage practices. Hannah Lavaglio, a resident of Cranberry and Plaintiff, Cranberry is exit 8A on the New Jersey Turnpike. This is a true parent rights issue. This is their body. This is their property. Supreme Court has said that, by the way. Uh, so I think they're going to win here. Taken from them from five years of being a minor, right? And the state is not required to give any justification. New Jersey can store samples for up to 23 years, while others like California, Massachusetts, and Maine are indefinite. Let me share this one with everybody here. Right? We're going to share this one. Because there's a nice little diagram here on on this. So uh, here we have the diagram. Let me go back and boom. Okay. So less than six months in some states. And then getting into the black on the red is much more indefinitely. Hmm. Something interesting, guys. Yes, it is. Something very interesting. And again, we're told, and this is conspiracy theory, we're told this is all a bunch of horse groove now. Oh, yeah. Now, guess what? Here we have Nancy Carney as a spokesman to the New Jersey Department of Health, which includes the Division of Family and Health Services, told DailyMail.com. The New Jersey Department of Health does not comment on pending in litigation. Oh, I tell you what. This is the oldest story in the book in New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Guess what? They, there's problems somewhere. We're going to go and we're going to do an investigation. And guess what? 
We do not comment on pending litigation or investigation. Oh, yeah, this way. And then hopefully, because the what we also discussed on this program, the issue attention cycle, they're going to wait it out five years from then to hoping that you're going to forget about this. This is going to be one of those things that we're going to keep an eye on here on Safety Wars. So, anyway, going on. Uh, and, you know, nurses fill six spots on a blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. Most states have stored ENA since at least 2001. California, what a big shock. I'm shocked. Began storing samples indefinitely in a state-run biobank in 1983. So, okay, the other people were uh, off by 10 years, 13 years. Wow. Let's see if I know this first. They got a nice picture of her. Hannah Lavaglio. Uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Facebook and see if she has a Facebook profile. Because I may know her. Because I, I used to work in Cranberry, New Jersey. A lot of the stories come from where I, when I used to work in there, right? So here we go. Uh, do, do, do. Okay. Let's see. I'm sorry. I'm not really supposed to do this on the ah, Screw it. It's my show. Okay, Hannah, wow, from New Jersey, L-A-L-O-V, hold on, bear with me here. Okay, uh, well, here it is. Okay. Okay, she has posted this state, uh, uh, posted this publicly on her Facebook page. So you may want to check it out. I don't know. Uh, anyway. Something interesting uh, to talk about. Uh, what was omitted from the article is that she is a pastor at the First Presbyterian Church of Cranberry. Now you're going to say, Jimmy, okay, what's the big deal about the First Presbyterian Church of Cranberry? Okay, and again, I, I, why do I remember this crap? I don't know why I remember it. That is the church of Todd and Lisa Beamer. And if you remember from... Uh, September 11th, he said, let's roll. And he was an a, 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 a member of that church. So uh, something to think of. Think, uh, remember. Why do I remember that? So I can't even remember my phone number half the time. Anyway. I'm you know, sometimes I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. Okay, we're going to take a brief timeout here. Uh, because this computer is not cooperating. In a world in the professional together. safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is where do I start? 
Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA Recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Pozel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. Yes, Jessica, I am your daddy. Safety Wars is streaming now. You know what I haven't done lately? I have not, and I used to do it all the time here. Uh, I have not read uh, the... uh, uh, Statistics here, right? Dow Jones Industrial Average fell today to 33,891. S&P 500 fell 4347. Nasdaq was down 13,521. Russell 2000 sunk to 1687.24. Gold is U.S. 10-year Treasury down slightly 4.633. Gold is at 19.64. Bitcoin 36.687 and crude oil at 75.67. And that's what all of the closing markets were today. Uh, let's go into the other one. And now uh, I get comments. I used to get comments on it. Why are you talking about this? Gold at 19.73. Silver 22.89. So that pretty much, uh, honestly, it's somewhere in the lower uh, uh, 20s, right? Platinum to 8.77. It was up slightly today. And palladium at well, one thousand thirty-one fifty. All right. All right. What else we got here going on today? Uh, this, and we have that. Boom. This is uh, from uh, some of the press releases that are out there from the Centers for Disease Control today. EPA. Uh, Agency Administrator Michael S. Regan, Secretary of the Interior Deb Haglin, Agricultural Secretary Tom Vilsack, and Directors for Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Mandy Cohn announced a memorandum of understanding, that's MOU, to further their joint work to protect communities from impacts of wildfire smoke while promoting land management practices that reduce the risk of large and severe fires. The four, now, uh, and now this goes in uh, with everything, right? We just finished uh, uh, Fire Safety Month. Okay, they're, they're always talking about uh, climate change, and the climate change gets blamed for everything here. Uh, but, uh, again, how are you preparing for that? I know with uh, uh, a lot of properties uh, out here, right, they have overgrown trees and a lot of what we used to call detritus, Right, that's stuff on the ground. Uh, are you clearing any of that out? Right? Are there 
Uh, flammable tree, no, highly flammable trees that are problematic. All trees are flammable. What is? I get it. But no, there, nothing is like a, a pine tree or a cedar tree around your house or other junk around your house. How about any plans on how to get out of your house in the event of a fire and protect your property and everything else? Again, uh, what they're worried about is community preparedness, right? Ensuring land management, public health goals are addressed together. Data collection and sharing, interagency communication. So I guess that's a good thing there on that. E-cigarette use down. This is from last Thursday, November 2nd. Among U.S. high school students in 2023, yet nearly half of youth who ever tried e-cigarettes reported current use. Now, I have never, we talked about masks before, and I have never had a person fail a medical uh, exam, a medical type thing, with a, uh, who was a smoker, right? I haven't had, unless they had COPD and they're in the end stages of the impact of smoking. But with the e-cigarettes, I'm seeing a lot of, uh, I'm seeing an awful lot of people out there, youth, who are uh, uh, failing, pulmonary function test at like 19 years old, 20 years old with that. So I think, and I said, well, you know, how long have you been, uh, oh, I've been doing this e-cigarettes since I'm 13. Oh, really? I said, you know, I've never met a, uh, someone 19 or 20 failing for a cigarette smoker, but for this, it's like, wow. Study released from the CDC and the U.S. Uh, FDA shows that among high school students, current past 30-day use of any alcohol any tobacco on it declined during uh, 2022, blah, 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 2023 from 16.5 to 12.6, primarily driven by a decline in e-cigarette release, 14.1% to 10%. Declines also occurred for use of any combustible tobacco product, including cigars among high school students. Maybe because they don't have the money to spend on this stuff. Uh, I don't know. It's down, I guess. We're happy on it. Health workers, so this is from October 24th. Health workers report harassment symptoms of poor mental health and difficult working conditions. More than double the number of health workers reported harassment at work in 2022 than in 2018. This may include threats, bullying, verbal abuse, or other actions from patients and co-workers that create a hostile work environment. The finding has important implications for health worker mental health, according to the CDC Vital Signs Report. Health worker burnout was at crisis levels prior to COVID-19, right? This report is the first to describe and compare self-reported well-being and working conditions for health workers, right? Uh, so uh, blah, blah, blah. it shows that health workers have continued phase of mental health crisis from 2018 to 2022. All right, and they have a nice graphic here again. Reported feelings of anxiety, 85% did experience it. Feelings of depression, 60%. And reported feelings of burnout, this is a surprising one, 81%. Uh, the people who did not experience harassment, right, they reported 53% felt anxiety, 31% depression, and 42% burnout. So I think that we have a problem here, gentlemen and ladies, here. Again, burnout environments. Maybe I kind of you know, maybe tomorrow we'll do the rules for radicals. 
And I'm going to say this much. They should probably be part one. Probably should be part one, the intro to leadership, because getting over this stuff is, a part of that is leadership. Another part is don't take yourself so serious or, the, or things so seriously. You've got to learn to compartmentalize things, and it's kind of hard, especially in the healthcare field where you're dealing with a lot of bad news, depending on what you're doing. Okay, uh, EPA. EPA awards nearly 1.2 to 3, 1.2 million to 3 California small businesses to research environmental issues and help grow the green economy. This week, the U.S. EPA is announcing almost $1.2 million in research funding to three California small businesses to further develop and commercialize their environmental technologies. The funding comes through the agency's Small Business Innovation Research Grant Program. California small businesses are leaders in creating innovative and practical zero-waste solutions that have far-reaching benefits for communities, said EPA Pacific Southwest Regional uh, uh, Administrator Martha Guzman. These companies' efforts to bring their technologies to market will advance the circular economy while reducing waste that ends up in a landfill. Okay, great. And now, let me see. Where is this come uh, coming from? Oh, it didn't come from the uh, stimulus bill. Oh, great. Wow. EPA awards Oregon Department of Environmental Quality over $4.5 million to improve the Klamath County air quality. So uh, it's a targeted air shed, air shed grant, 4.6 mil, uh, right? Grant funds will be used to reduce harmful fine particle air pollution, known as PM 2.5, on its particular matter, 2.5 microns, from residential wood smoke through a wide range of programs, now uh, including wood stove chain trial program. Now, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of states that are suing uh, the government over this because those uh, stoves don't work after a couple of years, and basically, and they're forcing people to do this, right? So to get new stoves, that's a, a lawsuit, right? The grant allows Klamath County Public Health to change out approximately 300 wood stoves to cleaner heating devices such as heat pumps and a natural gas furnaces. Hold on, I thought that the EPA was phasing out natural gas stuff. You're there funding natural gas stuff? Really? Wow. But anyway, uh, bu- 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 a lot of money out there, right? What's great about it is, is uh, you know, it's not their money, it's our money. EPA finds St. Louis scrap metal facility for alleged Clean Water Act violations. A recycling company of St. Louis, Missouri, will pay 68 grand in civil penalties to resolve alleged violations of the Federal Clean Water Act. According to the U.S. EPA, the company failed to adequately control stormwater runoff from its scrap metal recycling and processing facility. EPA says that these failures could result in illegal discharges of pollution to the Tennessee River. Okay, great. EPA awards $3.2 million to small businesses to research complex environmental issues and help grow the green economy. Today, and this is from yesterday, today the U.S. EPA announced 3.1 plus, almost 3.2 mil, in research funding to eight small businesses to further develop and commercialize their environmental technologies. 
Uh, recipients of this year's Small Business Innovation Research as BIR funding include companies developing a natural-based treatment for gray water use that is treated sewage, a system to remotely sense fugitive methane emissions in abandoned wells, and field-deploy devices to rapidly screen drinking water for PFAS. Uh, I forget. That's a, one of those things. It's, it's a bad thing in water, right? And we have, oh, they're spread out all over the country. You got one guy in Oregon and one in Wisconsin, one in Indiana, one in uh, uh, Florida, another in Cal- uh, three in California, and one in Pennsylvania. I've never heard of any of these companies. And let's do a time check here. We're going to go to commercial break. Have you listened or watched uh, the Safety War show? It does stream live on on the radio and um, on the streamer emers that we have. So if you have not taken a listen to Jim Bozel and what the hell he's doing every evening with uh, Safety Wars, I would I would strongly encourage you to um to take a view or take a listen, um, whichever option is available for you, and take a listen to what the hell he has going on. Uh, it's definitely, it will take some deep dives and some information that you might be interested in. Okay, so we are back. We're in our final couple of minutes here of the show. We started a little bit late. I apologize on that. Uh, you know, we got a lot of stuff going, a lot of moving parts. All right. Here's a one from Study Finds from Aurora, from John Anderer, Aurora, Colorado. What's the average age of a person entering long-term care? Researchers from the University of Colorado on Schutz Medical Campus now have an answer to this difficult question, as well as how long older adults will likely live uh, with a disability before opting for a nursing home. Turns out the number is now 84 years old. Usually preceded by months of both severe disability and escalating caretaking by the person's loved ones at home. Uh, I tell you what, it, you once once you get up there in years, you got to consider this stuff uh, here and the costs and what you're going to do with this and what the appropriate things is thing to do is uh, with that. And, you know, and I, I'm going to say this was this much also in. Uh, if you're a religious person or whatever, I would check. Uh, I would check what your uh, denominations or your uh, branch of religious, uh, whatever your affiliation is, or anything like that. I would check what the, what their guidelines are, because the churches and synagogues, I'm sure the mosques and uh, uh, temples and everything else that are out there have stuff in place already for this. That's a good place to start. Another good place is your financial planner and start early. Uh, on that. Uh, Some other stuff. Anyway, that's what I got tonight uh, here uh, for uh, this. And we're going to go and share screen again one last time. We put together a little outro outro, uh, video. And... Let's see, we will, why did this not, come here, bear with me, guys. Okay, so you'll see the outro video here. Share a screen. 
And we'll be seeing you tomorrow night uh, here. And uh, we'll see you. Let's try that again. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Thank you.